Welcome to the Not Your Average My podcast, where four Hmong American women working to move our community forward one conversation at a time. So tune in every month with Liz, Mania, Monica, and Katie as we dive into politics, pop culture, and all things related to being Hmong American. Let's get it! Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Not Your Average My podcast. Um, this episode, we are going to focus on debunking the COVID-19 vaccine myths. Um, it's been one year into the COVID-19 pandemic, and there's been a lot of grief and also a lot of speculation and concerns just about, um, you know, how do we acclimate ourselves to get into a n- normal society and what that looks like. And um, I think for us, normalcy will involve the vaccine. And so we are very concerned about our community members getting the vaccine and how they've been reacting to it. And so we really just want to talk about today why getting the vaccine is so important and just talk about why it's so urgent and also some of the myths that people have been um, sharing and, and that have been circulating our community. Like uh, we've been hearing, you know, various people talk about how if they get the vaccine, they're going to get sick. So they didn't want to get it. Others have talked about the vaccine came out way too fast and like there's not enough research yet i don't think and like i don't trust it right so we've heard things from all over the spectrum to also you know if i get it my see my cells will mutate if i take the vaccine um which i don't think is true but you know that's why we have an expert here today dr Pafoa yang from uh, st paul minnesota who will share her expertise with us her knowledge with us and her experience um she has Um, her own private practice clinic in the Twin Cities. And we are just very grateful for her um, and and for her sharing her time today. So Dr. Bafoa, thank you so much. Uh, Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) I think this is your first time here, right? Yes, it is. Thank you, Monica. Really glad to be here. And like Monica said, I am in private practice. I'm an OBGYN by trade. I've been doing this for over, well, since 1996. (laughs) It's a long time. So I'm a lot older than all of you. And, you know, COVID has taken its toll on us. We've learned a lot. We also um, have grown a lot. I mean, personally, have grown a lot from just being uh, indoors for the past year. So, and now with the vaccine coming out there, you are right that there are many myths and there are many concerns that people have over uh, the vaccine itself. Um, and then there are also many people who are just looking to get the vaccine. And so I'm, you know, as a physician in practice, having, you know, young women like you guys um, uh, coming to me, asking me if their parents should get the COVID vaccine and why should their parents get the COVID vaccine and if it's going to, uh, if the vaccine will help their parents. And so um, I'm really happy that we are having this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm so happy to hear that because, you know, my concern was, are people even curious? Are people even asking? But it, it makes me, um, you know, a little bit more relieved to hear that people are actually curious and you know, inquiring about it. And so maybe first off, Dr. Before, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your, you know, um, your experience as of late and how you've seen the pandemic impact our community. Because we know that our low-income communities of color have been impacted disproportionately um, the most of, you know, just in terms of who's gotten sick and who has died from COVID. 
um, you know, including a lot of Hmong elders and even our own uh, St. Paul School Leaders. Board member, Marnie Zhang, um, who was as young as 31, right? And at that time, everyone thought only old people could die, uh, yes. which was also a huge myth, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, what has your experience been like um, in, in, in that regard? So it's it's been a terribly sad year for our community. As you said, we've lost many, many leaders. Um, parents are, you know, great grandparents who have brought us to this country. So many of them have gone because of COVID. Um, in my own family, there's been sisters who've had, who've got COVID, um, uncles who've got COVID, in-laws, you know, parents who've got COVID. And then, you know, in my own practice, uh, patients who are community leaders who passed away from COVID, um, as well as patients who've got COVID once, but not only once, twice. And oh, wow. so, yeah, so it's been a... Um, tremendous year in terms of uh, the effect and the impact on our community. Um, and you know, you are absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's really sad because from my perspective and with my patients, the young people, you know, like this one woman who uh, is a patient of mine, she got COVID in October. Uh, her mother, who is 94, also got COVID. So she's in her 70s. Her mother is in her 90s. They both got COVID. They both survived COVID in October. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, including her 94-year-old mother. Um, they both came to see me back in January. And then just about three weeks ago, um, her granddaughter got COVID. Mm -hmm. supposedly from work and then she got COVID again and sh she was devastated she thought she was going to die this time mm -hmm. but oh, she no. survived the first time but she survived and like the week that she could, she went out there and she got the COVID vaccine because mm -hmm. she was not going to get it again the third time. That, and so that again, that just tells you that even though you've got COVID before, you can still get COVID again. And again, another reason why the vaccine is important for those who uh, did get COVID earlier in either in March of 2020 or in October, like this women in uh, 2020, and you may think I got COVID already. I don't need the vaccine. You still do need the vaccine because you can get reinfected again. So I think that's so especially important because a lot of, you know, our Hmong families live in like multi-generational households. Yes. So, you know, let's say like a young person is an essential worker and mm -hmm. they get, um, they get um, exposed to it and then bring it back home. Like that's happened in so many of our Hmong families. So I'm really glad that you brought up that example. Um, what do you, you know, what would you say to um, our listeners and their families who feel like if they get the vaccine, they can still um, die from the vaccine. So what's the point of taking it, right? And I bring this up because, you know, President Biden, um, and, and this past week, he um, addressed our nation and he directed all states to make all, 
all adults eligible for COVID vaccine by May 1st. So we know that, you know, companies are working hard to, um, to mass produce these uh, and distribute these vaccines. So, but then we still have, we still hear a lot of these concerns about the vaccine. Like for example, I'll get sick if I take the vaccines or rather not risk it. I can still die if I get the vaccine. Um, they would rather take, you know, medicine that they trust, quote unquote, that they trust, right? Like Hmong herbs or et cetera, um, mm-hmm. or that they feel like there's not enough research so they can't trust the science. So, you know, some of these myths, um, what would what would be your response to, to these myths, knowing that, you know, vaccines will become uh, readily available or, you know, our, our country is working hard to make sure that these vaccines are available to eligible Americans? Mm-hmm. It, it, so you are right that we are comfortable with certain ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's why we keep going back to those ways of doing things. So like you say, um, because that's what we are comfortable with. Yeah, that is yeah. my mom. I'm telling you. <laughs> my mom takes her like long medicine every single day. And she's like, oh, I won't get it because I'm taking these pills every exactly. day. To oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It is, it is that, you know, we always use the same method. And so mm-hmm. we trust that method. Um, and so in that way, we are always going to rely on those methods that, that we are used, uh, to, used to. Um, so, and, and then there's also this belief that you know, when people say that you come with a tumble, so you you come home, so you're going to do a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, for example, um, I had a patient who was quite sick with COVID, the whole family that was sick with COVID. And every person that she heard who had gone into the hospital have died from COVID. And what had happened was that she was quite hypoxic. Uh, her pulse ox was actually in the 70s. And I just said, you need to go to the hospital. You cannot be home because, because you will die from uh, mm-hmm. infection. And fortunately, they did call the ambulance. She ended up going to the hospital. She ended up with a pulmonary embolus from her COVID oh, and wow. um, had to be on blood thinners the entire time. So almost a week she spent in the hospital before she came home. And the fact that she came home was amazing. And she, you know, it proved to her that you're not going to die every time you go to the hospital. But that was her biggest fear was that she, you know, anyone who goes to the hospital will die because they don't come home. And I'm sure that, um, you know, it's somewhat is a myth, but it is also true that many leaders have died going to the hospital so there's this tremendous fear of medicine itself and then with along with that fear is the vaccination as well now among people they you you know what they what the Hmong word for these vaccines are in Hmong uh, what is it? that's what they call it oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You well, know that, Elizabeth? yes, yes that's the word they yeah yeah, because, because well that that's what vaccines were right like they're yeah, back like, in Laos that's the word yeah yes they, they call it and so that and then if you look at the history of how vaccines were utilized in Thailand and Laos um, there were some boys and some girls uh, when they were uh, they got their vaccines back in Laos I don't know how it was administered but 
Um, some of them had damage to their legs from the sciatic nerve damage because of the improperly injected vaccine. So with the damage to their legs, that's how vaccines were perceived, is that and so I think a lot of the fears that most people have from vaccines were from kids being vaccinated back in Laos or Thailand or in the camps. And, you know, as a child, when you're giving a vaccine to a child, you have to be very much aware of where the sciatic nerve is. And some of these kids get sciatic nerve damage. So one of their legs does not grow properly. It's affected to become handicapped to some extent from that vaccination. So that is my only explanation that I have for wow. this greatest fear of vaccinations. And that's why when we give vaccines to kids in this country, we are, you know, as uh, the nurses and the doctors, they know that there's a certain place where they cannot vaccinate a child because mm -hmm. it has a sciatic nerve and the sciatic nerve will be damaged and the child will have uh, a paralyzed leg. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that's where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think that these are very legitimate, you know, concerns, given yeah. like the historical context and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, Liz, I think you can um, bring this up in terms of like medical mistrust of our healthcare providers and um, our healthcare systems. I'm not sure if you were going to chime in into that. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say, I think that's such a good point. I never thought about that, but that makes mm -hmm. sense because there's also there was a lot of mistrust of, um, you know, like the Thai nurses, right. And other people too, because I think there was a lot of, um, discrimination and I think, mm -hmm. right. Like just, just understanding that, um, a lot of the refugees were unwanted. I think it, like, if there's no trust, then right. Like you, you think of like all sorts of nefarious things that may or may not be true, but I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I, I think that even when I was growing up, there's just, you know, I was a child interpreter back in the mm -hmm. back in the 70s when we came here. And there is a lot of mistrust. And part of that mistrust is the language barrier, which now is much, much better because we have interpreters and then we have uh, people you know, who are in the medical field who can explain these to uh, our patients much better. And then there's also this great mistrust that we are very poor. So why, you know, our lives really do not matter to anyone, you know, and why is our life important? It's not important to anyone. So, you know, there's that big, huge, you know, very uh, barrier to it as well. And, um, you know, and so like when I talk to other physicians, I, I will always tell them that most people say that they will not understand a word you say, but they will look at your actions and they know how you're treating them. And yeah. it, it's very true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of that. Um, and, you know, the fact that we are now in 2020, um, we do have many excellent nurses and doctors who are out there who are Hmong and who are other races who really do care so much about our community. I think that has changed that a lot uh, to some extent, but we are still a very much a poor community. We still, you know, there are many of us who are still living in housing, 
you know, development areas and um, yeah. in inner city communities. And so uh, in that sense, I think there is still a certain level of Mm-hmm. I think you bring such a good point because I think that we understood the healthcare disparities among like racial ethnic groups or communities existed, but what COVID-19 did was exacerbated these, these healthcare challenges or these conditions. And, you know, it's so sad because I was telling my friends this and that I see a GoFundMe page for an elder or someone in the small community almost every single day. Yeah, it is. It's so sad to see that, but that's also like the reality of what COVID nineteen has done to our community members, especially because you know one in four Americans, I mean, all Americans, still live in poverty. Um, and I wanted to um, relate this back to what you mentioned because you know um, my parents are still on Medicaid, but my dad would rather get his health insurance through his employer than Medicaid because mm-hmm. of the wait times. And he mm-hmm. feels like they will not take his condition seriously if he were to be a Medicaid recipient. Whereas my mom is still on Medicaid, right? She yeah. receives SSI. So yeah. for her, like her, the wait times to even see a doctor are so long. But for him, yeah. like he understands that if I were to be listed as a Medicaid recipient, I'm never going to be seen by the doctors. They're not going to take mm-hmm. my health condition seriously. So he would rather get his health insurance through his employer. So mm-hmm. I think you um, emphasize such a great point in terms of... Um, the lack of trust, but it's also, you know, taking into consideration like our, the poverty and all of these socioeconomic factors that come into play when it comes to accessing healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and even like with, you know, I like to think that I treat my patients who are health insurance and who are on SSI medical assistant the same. Um, but I know that there are patients who come in and when they're on uh, they have private insurance, you know, they, there's a certain level of expectation of treatment that they want because exactly. they're, um, yeah. they have private insurance and, and you're like, no, you, <laughs> you're still my patient. I still treat you the same as my patient is a medical assistant who comes in. And because that is our Hippocratic oath is that we treat everybody the same, but right. you know, we all, as I always tell my patients, doctors have personalities too. And our personalities doesn't always mean that, uh, uh, you know, our hands are terrible, but there are, <laughs> you know, if you look at the fields, they do, the, it's well known in the fields that if you're meeting a surgeon, a surgeon is very much quick, let's get out of here. If you don't want surgery, you're gone kind of thing, whereas if you're meeting a family practice doctor or a pediatrician, they're going to be much better listeners than the surgeons will be. So I always try to remind my patients of that every time. I I love that you um, talk about, you know, equal treatment that you try to practice doctor before, and then also um, just the historical context to help, I mean, listeners like us, because I surely didn't even realize that um, a lot of the fears probably stemmed from their experiences back in, you know, Laos and Thailand. And so mm-hmm. um, I think what would be helpful is, you know, how have you tried to then help your patients overcome that fear mm-hmm. and to trust the science? Because I know you talked about, you know, you've, you had your, you know, many patients that had COVID this year, right? And it wasn't until the very last minute, right? Yeah. Like when they finally decided at the last minute to go, like um, even beyond that. So now how do we ensure that 
our patients or the Hmong community and other communities of color in general can begin to trust science, even though I know that's really hard to do. um, Because, you know, even in like the Black community, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. the mistrust is so deep there because of the mistreatment of Black people and experience scientific experiments on Black people that were never properly compensated. And treated well, right? And I've also seen from my like black community friends that they like refuse to get the vaccine unless Mm -hmm. they have to get it for like travel or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, how do we begin to build that trust? And maybe does that Mm -hmm. start with just explaining how the vaccine works? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if that, yeah, Mm -hmm. if that has helped. You know, so I think conversations like this are very important to help to build that trust. So, you know, having this podcast and, uh, having communities listen to it, uh, the Hmong uh, parents listen to it and explaining how the vaccine really works uh, does help. Um, as many, you know, as we were talking earlier, the vaccine is a new type of vaccine. It is not, and it's one of the difficulties that we have, or that I have as a physician is explaining how things work. Uh, scientifically to Hmong patients. Yes, or in Hmong patients. How do you yeah. do that? Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. how do you even, it, like I can barely explain it in English. So I don't yeah. even know yeah. how I would explain it in Hmong. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's really Yeah, go ahead, Elizabeth. Oh, I was gonna say if you could yeah, if you could maybe help us um say in Hmong and also explain it so folks understand. <laughs> yeah. Because, say you know I had heard the um but because right like I was a science nerd I just figured Mm -hmm. oh like somebody explained to people like how vaccines actually work because when I hear that means oh like that's because someone told them like you know the original way that we made vaccines was you 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 got the dead pathogens and you put that into a vaccine and that's that's like you know um I thought that was like a very scientific explanation that someone had explained to, you know, the Hmong interpreters that this is how vaccine works. So, you know, this is right. Like that, that they were shooting dead vaccines into you. And maybe that's why like you get sick with the flu vaccine. Um, so it's very interesting that you gave us that historical perspective earlier where I was like, Oh, like that makes so much more sense than the way I had rationalized it personally (laughs) as a science. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's very interesting to hear your perspective because it has never been in my mind that that was the that it was given as uh, the dead vaccine. It, it's always been that when certain children get these vaccines, that they do get this paralysis that happens because of improper injection sites of the vaccine itself. So, um, and they equate that to you know, vaccination of their chickens and their pigs, and then their chickens and their pigs will die, you know. Um, so, you know, we have to take that into uh, consideration that uh, among people are farmers, we have dogs, we have chickens, we have pigs, and they're essential to our life. And when there is a sickness that takes over, the animals die, and then they are then told if you get this, give these animals injections and that the animals will survive and some of the animals die from the injections. And so that translates from animals to humans. And then what happens when humans get the injections, they get this paralysis in their leg or the weakness, uh, the atrophy in the legs and the muscles don't work that, oh yeah, that's the same injections that are given to the animals and they're given to us. So that's how that whole history 
uh, behind Chutao is. And so whenever I um, am giving an injection to a monk or so I'm telling them, you need your tetanus vaccine. I will tell them, okay, in Hmong people, they always call this chuta'a, but it is really not chuta'a. I would tell that to them so that they understand what it is. So going to our explanation of um, vaccinations in general, um, like Elizabeth says, when I tell my patients about vaccinations, I tell them that the tetanus vaccine or the varicella vaccine, we are really giving them more like the, like the, the um, the only way, and I always use military term because I think that they understand military a lot yeah. better than anything. Yeah. So that's how I explain it to my Hmong patients. And each ethnic group, I explain it slightly different because mm. I try to understand where they're coming from and how they will understand it. And the way I explain to Hmong people, I always say, okay, okay. 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 Okay, so that's how I explain it to them. And then I think many of them understand it because Google explanation had the white blood cells, you know, creating yep. the antibodies, your memories, you know, and I think that helps to, to some extent. Now, the COVID vaccine, right now, we are actually not giving the, you know, the tissue, the organism's coat or uh, into the patient as an injection, we are actually doing an injection of a virus that carries the RNA, okay? And so that it becomes much, much more difficult to explain to anymore. That's how it is yeah. different, okay? This is an inert virus. But the idea is still the same. You are creating antibodies. And that's the best that you can do to, is to explain it in that sense that you are creating these memories, these uh, soldiers that are in your body that are, uh, are ready. Wow. So, I love that analogy. Yeah. I also say we need we need one for the younger people because it's so hard for them to understand well, <laughs> why I, vaccines work, you know. But the whole time that you were explaining that, like I had these amazing, amazing visuals. Is, yeah. Um, and, and I think it just speaks so much to, you know, our, our culture and the way we communicate that we're oral, um, you yes. know, people and we, we, we tell stories. And so you write like it. To me, like it's just it's so helpful to have the visual and, and the explanation um, rather than like writing it down and like reading it or something, right? And I I can imagine someone like 
you know, doing the um, pantao and like the embroidery stuff, just like showing the whole story, right? To me, it was like a comic strip coming out when you were like explaining that. And that's so helpful. Like it, it's yeah. just, I love that you're so in tune with how you communicate with your patients, right? Because mm-hmm. we were so visionary and like, you were just oral learners. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you just can't write it down and give it to someone to say, read this, right? Which is so much. Or read this pamphlet. Right? <laughs> Which is what they always do. Yes, at every doctor's visit. Yep. I, I find, because I do not only work with Hmong people, I work with Somali, I work with mm-hmm. Nigerian. Uh, my community is pretty, the, my patient population is so diverse yeah. that, um, and then, you know, so I have this language barrier. I also understand the um, issue with interpreters too, because mm-hmm. um, interpreters, and I'm not downplaying interpreters, and I, this is not a criticism of interpreters, but um, sometimes being the provider, I really do understand how things work. Like if I'm going to do a procedure, for example, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm able to visually explain it to my patients. And I think that the interpreters not having that background of being in nursing or in the medical Mm -hmm. uh, field, uh, being just an interpreter, sometimes they don't get the full uh, aspect of what we are doing. So so I, I think I have that unique perspective that I, I, I also came from a very oral, a very visual history to learning and then understanding it and then presenting it back to these communities, uh, either through an interpreter or in communities that, are, that uh, do not rely on a written language that are more visual learners. I am able to say, okay, this does not work. Well, how I'm explaining it to you, I, don't, I know you will not understand, but let me draw mm-hmm. it out. And when I draw it out and I put it in picture form, or if I see the animation on YouTube and I say, oh, this is great, let's mm-hmm. use this. It helps my patients tremendously. And I think that um, with most people, it's the same thing. We are such visual learners. And even as a physician, I, I, you know, I, I'm still so visual. When I see things, it sticks in my memory forever. But when I'm reading it, sometimes it doesn't stick. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same, same. (laughs) So I think it's just our background that, you Mm -hmm. know, that's where we are from. And so, um, and so I try very hard to use that with my patients. And I think with Hmong people trying to either draw a picture or explain it in a way that they understand it. And sometimes I always say, like, for example, when I explain blood pressure, how do you explain blood pressure to among elder that you have blood pressure issues? I have a very difficult time explaining blood pressure. And mm. I think some of the interpreters, interpreter is Chashia. I had this woman who came in and said, Dr. Yang, my doctor one day told me I had blood pressure, gave me medications to use with high blood pressure. Then the next time I went to see him, he's like, I have low blood pressure. So what the heck is going on? But it's two different things. It's high blood pressure and it's anemia. Mm. Those are huge differences. But the interpreter is a chashia and chake. It's not wow. the same thing. It's two different things. And I was like, no, I, you know, so when she was just really upset because the doctors, you know, in her eyes are mistreating her. Yeah. Are not treating her or well. Or right? Or like yes. or incompetent. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they don't know what they're talking about. They're giving her medications to try that are hurting her. Mm-hmm. You know, so in her mind, this is where that distrust comes in. 
She's like, one day they told me I have blood high blood pressure. The next day they told me my blood is low. What is going on? And I, so <laughs> I said, let me get your records. Let's look at it. Let me explain it. And that's when I discovered, yes, she does have high blood pressure, but she developed anemia. Hmm. And anemia, how do you explain anemia in Hmong? That's how it was interpreted to her. And so it is, so in her mind, what is going on? Wow. So, you know, that's where, you know, I, like I said, I don't, you know, I have no intentions to say that interpreters are no good, but explaining it to them so that they truly understand what it's is like the, the medical terminologies. Yeah. <laughs> so hard yeah. to translate or interpret. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And so, you know, what I was telling her is, Chashia, I, you know, I couldn't think of anything. So I said, okay, 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 let's talk about this. Chashia, do you know that when you go to the garden, what do you do? When you turn on the water to water, that's what it is. And that helped them because she is so visual. She's when I said that to her, she understood because yeah. I said, that's why that is so amazing <laughs> yeah do you have like a talk show doctor before like i mean i think my concern is you know how do we get more of our uh, community members to to understand sort of this like challenge mm-hmm. this language barrier yeah. and then like also fighting the uh, misinformation right like mm-hmm. i like i think you need to go among radio and tell our listeners every weekend like okay this is what you guys need to understand about covid right uh, and yeah. what you need to understand about the vaccine um because i think that's I, our challenge also like yeah everyone is hearing so many things and then with your law just relies among radio and then half the time yeah, among radio true. is not accurate not not to Shame Mung Radio, because I know yeah. they do a lot of like good communication work or just, you know, news, right? Mm-hmm. News alerts for our elders. But like, there's also just so much misinformation. And like, you know, I, I think that's the other part of it. Like, how do we fight that? Yeah, it's so hard. And, you, and you, you're right. I think that there are a lot of good information that are out there for our Hmong patients. But, you know, I, I think that uh, it's almost like they bomb they should be bold enough to what they mean. They should be bold enough to pop it. Yeah. And, and so it, it creates more misinformation. But, you know, I, I do truly believe that as our um, young people, as more and more people in the medical field, they're understanding this so much more and they're able to talk to their parents. You know, sometimes that's even difficult because even as a physician, when I tell my mom, that you need certain things done, she still questions mm. uh, whether what I'm saying is accurate or not accurate. So that and goes- you're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Why is <It> goes- that? <laughs> it's just like, there was this big myth that many more people, and, and that ran in our community. You guys heard about how Ying Tele Yopa Tokamo COVID. Oh, I had a really long talk with my mother about their Chuyang because again, this is a cultural issue. Mm-hmm. You know, back in Laos, when she was a young girl, 
it was the treatment. It was the miracle treatment for everything. It also was cash crop. It was, you know, there were so many things uh, that are in Yang political. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, enigma that's with Yang. So when you talk to Itunang Lao, so Yang, it really becomes a very heated uh, discussion. And I remember having this discussion with my mother because uh, COVID. so much more potent than it. Yeah, it's oxycodone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it will help with the cough. But, you know, the fact that it's treating the symptoms is enough to. Uh, make them feel better. So again, it comes back to beginning. Mong, we uh, the underlying problem, symptoms, So that's why you know, they understand Or even like donning a high Like, oh my God, I there was you know, I mean, and, and I, I, maybe the spiritual healing and cultural part of our culture is important to discuss too. But like, I don't know, there was an instance where everyone was just like, oh, if I drink pee, it'll protect me. And, yeah. or, you know, um, when we didn't have the vaccine yet, and we were still learning about COVID, like, I don't know if people remember, we talked about this in our previous episodes mm-hmm. about there was a day when everyone was like, oh, there was like an evil spirit that was going to be unleashed onto the world. And my parents and everyone was like, don't go outside on this day. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yeah, and we talked about grandma, it. And like everyone in our family sold these little red pouches to protect us, yeah. right? So yeah. I guess my question is like, how do we balance our spiritual, cultural beliefs and also science? Because I, you know, I've also seen with like, you know, my black uh, community members who have said oh I believe in God I don't believe in science which is <laughs> yeah I feel like such a I don't know I don't even know what to call that and yeah, yeah. So, false dichotomy yeah like, it's not either or yeah, yeah like why can't it be both yeah and I that's what I tell them I mean like when my patients will come to me and say or like when I have a patient who has cancer hmm. they're going to get treatment I will say to them do all your spiritual treatments that you want. It's okay, do them. But you must do what I say to. I will mm-hmm. tell them that. I would say that to them because I don't want them not to do what. I think it's important for them to do. And so when it comes yeah. to big new mola, okay, okay, if it's your urine, go ahead and drink. It. <laughs> 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 okay, I won't hear about it. Okay, fine. Do this and do this too. Wear your mask, wear this, take precautions. I will always just use that within that context. 
I, I love that. And, you know, I wish, and I hope that more doctors are like that or more culturally competent. Um, and, and maybe in the twin cities it, it is, but I don't know if that's the case in like California or like in Wisconsin or el- or elsewhere. And the Carolinas, so, right? Or even, <laughs> yeah. Or even the Carolinas where there's like a bunch of Hmong people. So I don't know, like, I, I mean, just, we need more doctors like you for sure. Yeah. Because we know a lot of incompetent doctors who don't care about their patients. And I'm not saying that these are Hmong doctors, like doctors yeah. in general, right? Where why and that's why like, there's such a huge mistrust of the healthcare system. Um and I, I yeah. I do think that the system is not working as well as we like it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, our times are so limited in terms of how many people we're seeing. Exactly. Yep. And so I definitely know that when I started working with these communities that are uh, more you know, African Asian communities, they need more of my time. And I will spend 30 minutes with a patient explaining things so that they can understand. And that's sometimes really too difficult to carve out in if you have a very busy practice. And so it, we, I think that the system in, as a whole needs to be better mm-hmm. and hopefully we are going to move towards being better especially you know with now insurance is paying for televisits too i can mm. do a sum with televisits explaining some things to my patients and helping to carve that time a little bit more where i can call them on the phone explain things to them so that when they come in they already have that background so uh, i can visually show it to them and then it's already ah yeah that's what you were saying Dr. Yang so that mm-hmm. helped too. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important to stress though um because even me like as an educated person right mm-hmm. like especially as an educated person if I'm like I don't trust that you're going to make the right diagnosis if you're only spending like 10 to 15 minutes with mm-hmm. me right like mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you hear my symptoms and you understand everything and you think about it like you know thoroughly whereas I mean I, I guess what I didn't understand was like the doctors see like hundreds of people every day. And so they know exactly what symptoms to look for and they can tell mm-hmm. you immediately. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I, as a non-medical person, like, I don't understand that I'm going to wait, like, no, I need you to walk me through it. And I need to make sure you've heard me so that I can trust that you're making the right diagnosis. Right. And that's very much from a cultural, I mean, from an or the oral tradition that we are in and a lot of African cultures are very similar to Hmong cultures in the same way. You're spending two minutes. You have no idea what you're doing with me. Why? Why should I trust you? It, it's it's the same. Yeah. It's no different. So, uh, Elizabeth, with what you just said, absolutely. A lot of our patients, uh, some of my patients, they come to me and they would say, "Well, he was just there for two minutes. He's gone." And so, does he? He didn't even see what was going on, or she, you know. So. I also say, um, I think you mentioned earlier that you work with, you know, very diverse populations. Um, I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned like Somali, Eritrean communities. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there is the same resistance in terms of vaccines in general and the COVID-19 vaccine um, compared to like our Hmong community? I do know this. I do know that every culture, Hmong, Hispanic, Somali, they have their own cultural things that they do for COVID. Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> at one point I was thinking, I want to know what all these cultural yeah, things are, yeah. you know, because I know even in the Mexican community, there are cultural things yes. that they do, right? Yeah. Uh, Monica, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, I had a friend who sent us a video about um, like a Mexican soup that they made to like protect COVID. It was, And it's kind of like a, 
he said it was kind of like a soup for like hangovers, but then like doubled <laughs> for COVID. So it was very interesting. <laughs> I, I was so fascinated when my Somali patients would hit to me the things that they do. And I wish I was one of those reporters or those uh, people who will write histories about people and just would just go and ask, so what is your secret for COVID? <laughs> you know? What is yeah. the most secret for COVID? What is the Eritrean community secret for COVID? Because they all have certain cultural things that they go right back to, to help them overcome this whole COVID pandemic. And oh. it's not just our community. <laughs> so... So the re- so do you feel like sort of the the fear and the resistance has sort of been the same among the various diverse community patient like in patients that you've faced and um, yeah I, I guess that's the general I definitely question. do um, because I do hear more about the Hmong community uh, more and because of Facebook too I definitely see the devastation within our community so much greater than the other communities. But again, that's because I'm not connected with their communities mm-hmm. as much as I am with the Hmong community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do sense that uh, doom that our community feels much more and our leaders being affected much more just because I'm so involved within our community mm-hmm. as compared to the yeah. other communities. Well, I was going to mention, like I think one really great tangible example of our community taking care of each other was the Hmong clinic that they did at Hmong village. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how can we replicate that elsewhere? Right. And I know like I'm in, I'm in Alaska right now where there's a size of Hmong population and we're just, and there are people here who are also trying to set up a similar clinic drive like that. And so I'm just wondering, this is something that you think we can replicate or or like maybe like if you're a private practice, I don't know if you, if what your capacity is, but like, is that something that we can do elsewhere? And um, just, you know, how, um, just talking in general, like which vaccine is the most important or like which Mm -hmm. vaccine is the most effective or do you recommend all of them? And I think that's also Mm -hmm. something that people are now curious because there are like many options now, right? Mm -hmm. And so people Mm -hmm. are curious, well, which one do I get? Um, So that's, yeah, because so that's where I'm really interested in because I feel like, you know, the Hmong Village Clinic was really great and definitely needed, right? Especially with the cultural competencies, right? That you talked about. And Yeah, so I I think that, I mean, I think involving community leaders uh, really is very helpful. but, you know, even having nurses to uh, be involved in the drives will be ex- extremely helpful. Um, and it's, it's if, if not for anything, it is for that language barrier, you know, to explain to, to that patient that, you know, and that connection being Hmong, but it is that language barrier that you can actually tell the patient after you get this injection, some people will have severe pain in their arm and that's normal. And some people may be a little sick. One of my colleagues was in bed for seven days after she got her injection. Uh, So to really go over these uh, side effects so that the patients will understand that, oh yeah, if my arm is really sore, it's normal. It's, you know, because of the vaccine itself. I think that that would really help. Um, you know, what I said to you uh, before that I have uh, young patients like you guys calling me and asking me, you know, I had one patient, she, I see her mom. I, mean, I don't see her, I see her mom. And she called me, she said, you know, I tried to get my mother in for her vaccines. 
for her COVID vaccine. And every pharmacy I go to, including taking it to Mon Village, because she's not 65, they refuse to vaccinate her. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, yeah. you know, and I said to her, your mom needs her vaccine because she's diabetic. She has high blood mm-hmm. pressure. She is qualified. She's like, Dr. Yang, what do I do? I said, okay, I will write you a letter. And I will explain, I will, you know, put in my letter that she needs this vaccine. And, you know, they, she got my letter within an hour, her mom got her vaccine. She called me back. She's like, thank you. I'm glad my mom finally got her vaccine because I've been trying for the past week, couldn't get her in for a vaccine because of that. So, um, so there are young people who are very proactive out there and taking their parents (laughs) and to get their vaccines. And so, I think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I think Minnesota is also a little different in that, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of Minnesotans on, among Minnesotans on Facebook. And so <laughs> and even like my mother has a Facebook account and they see a lot of things that are passed around in Facebook. So when the vaccine clinics uh, were coming out from uh, about failing uh, at Mon Village there, my mother was the first one to come to me and say, did you see that? They're doing vaccinations over there. Oh, wow. So that helps, you That's know? so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that even that advertisement through Facebook really helps with the community here. I love that. So then right now, because there are three vaccines, like should people care? Like, sh- does it matter which one we get? Can you explain that too? Because I think now people are like, well, which one do I get? Well, I, I don't think it matters at all which one you get. There's Johnson Johnson. It's just one time with the Johnson Johnson. Um, there's the Moderna, which is two. And then the other one was uh, Pfizer, which is also two. Um, the studies are out there. Two, if you don't like getting two, then get the Johnson & Johnson. If you are okay with, you know, and if you got the earlier vaccines with the two vaccinations, which is the Moderna and the Pfizer. And so... I think they're very equivalent. Yeah, I, I will say, oh, sorry, go ahead, Liz. Oh, I was going to say, but so what happens if, you know, you don't have time and you don't complete your dosage for um, either the Pfizer or the Moderna? Yeah, I think the problem is with that is that if you don't complete it, you may not be as well protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember what I talked about before, building those antibodies. Yeah, and I ask that, right, because a lot of our elders are like maybe blue collar people who, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so hard to even get people in the first time and to make them go a second time right it's like a a big hurdle yes and so that's where the johnson johnson i I think some of the Hmong patients are starting to get the johnson johnson vaccine and you know they like the idea of one time shot instead of two times um so as that becomes more uh available i think that getting more you'll be much less resistance i guess if you want to think about it in that way yeah, I will just say I got my first vaccine shot last this past week, so I've been very grateful for that. No pain? Um, no pain, just sore arm. And my arm wasn't even really that sore, but um, Alaska has been really fortunate, I think, because they're the first state to lift all of its eligibility requirements. And so uh-huh. everyone 16 and above 
can get their vaccine. Wow. So um, I've been very, very lucky and I totally understand just the challenges with it. But, um, you know, I think as we've said, like the CDC recommends just getting any vaccine when it becomes available. So mm-hmm. hopefully our listeners take that to heart and really get it. Um, Manya, did you want to ask your question? Yeah. So um, with vaccines becoming available, I, I think the focus right now is on like vulnerable populations, those who are 65 years and older. Um, and then um, next in ranking is, you know, like those who do have chronic health conditions. So for a younger generation or for young folks, I feel like we kind of focus a lot on like um, our, our elders and like our parents' generation, but for let's say someone who's like a healthy 20 year old and who doesn't want to take the vaccine or who wants to wait it out. Like, do you, you know, I, I guess like, what's your recommendation for someone who is quote unquote, a 20, a healthy 20 year old waiting it out like six months um, or I don't know, like more than six months to taking a, the vaccine. I think that the risk always is that, you know, you are at risk and, you know, remember we have this multi-generational uh, households and, you could be the potentially the person who will bring it in. I think that's one thing. I mean, it's hard. It's like my children would say to me, that's putting a big blame on us and yeah. <laughs> a big burden for us to carry. But it, it is true to some extent because a lot of the infections that I'm seeing within one communities, it is the working essential workers, the yep. young people who are coming home, who are yep. infecting. Uh, the elders, so it's not so much the elder. They have this thing where and the elders they know it, they understand what that means. The young people don't understand that as well, right? Yep, I agree. Yep. It's so, yep. yeah, it's so perfect. Yeah. And, and I think maybe, you know, something that's missing for some of the young people is also, um, I mean, some states have not like enacted such, um, you know, cause I mean, but what I'm trying to say is um, we think that if you do get vaccinated, you're less likely to, um, you know, spread COVID and that's why it is so important. Right. So there's two benefits that like, you know, you, you won't die, um, you know, cause you'll, your body will have antibodies, but also like when you get the vaccine, it also, for whatever it does to your body, makes you less of a spreader. And like, that's the important piece too. And I think that's that if anything, that's the piece that I would advocate for is so that you're not the one to go and infect. Um, Because remember, even after you get the vaccine, there is a small potential that you could still get COVID as well. It's not a hundred percent protective. And I know that that's the other thing that among people are always there. It's like, well, you know, and yeah, but we know that, and I always tell my patients, we don't ever say to you that it's a hundred percent because nothing is ever a hundred percent. So that's my biggest reason for young people to get it is that when you see grandma or grandpa, that you're not the one to spread because and I, I know I guilt trip my kids a little bit when I tell them, <laughs> I don't want to be the one to affect grandma, okay? <laughs> I will always do that to them. But, but it's so true because I, I, I mean, even in our family, we know we've had our middle age relatives who brought it home and our grandma like died from COVID. 
Like, oh. his, like his mom died from it because yeah. he brought it home. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad you're emphasizing that um, mm. because it's, it's so important to, to just yeah. remember that. Yeah. So uh, I guess a little guilt trip is okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like whatever works at this point. Right. Or for me, that that's the case, whether it's that or, you know, trying to convince our elders, like, I, I think maybe we can talk about this next, like, what can we look forward to when everyone is vaccinated? Cause I think that is maybe what might help people get vaccinated too. Right. And like, you know, like I said, I saw a bunch of, you know, just people in my networks and on Facebook talking about how I will only get it if I can't travel or, you know, I'll only get it if I can't go to my concerts and I need to get it. Like people will only get it because get to go have fun, but not because they won't die. I'm just, I'm so confused, you know, like rather you'd only get the vaccine if you can't go to our concert, but you won't get it if it'll prevent death. Like it just, you know, doesn't make sense. Yeah. I I had a young couple who are going to be doing a cruise and they, they know they have to get the vaccine before they can go on that cruise. So the cruises are very cheap now as compared to before. That is so, very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is an Alaskan cruise too, Monica. So. <laughs> wow. See, I've never been an Alaskan cruise. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I think that for a lot of people, right? Like death is such a far concept and you think that it'll never happen to you. So like, it's less of a motivator, right? But like, we've been in a pandemic for the last year right? Mm-hmm. People miss their friends, they miss their family, you know, yes. and so it's like a much better incentive to be like, mm-hmm. if you take the shot, you can go clubbing, you can go to Vegas, you can go wherever you want, right? Yeah. Um, and that's more relatable, because like, you've been there, that's what you miss, mm-hmm. versus like, oh, death, like, you know, what is that? Absolutely, Liz. it's just like you say, death is so far, you know, so that's so interesting. I so so then is this like a marketing issue then? Because then I I just feel kind of like disingenuous saying, well, if you get the vaccine, you can go X Y Z now, you know. And I'm kind of afraid of doing that too, because don't we we still want to tell folks to act cautiously, right? Until yes. everyone is vaccinated, but yeah. I, I guess I get it. Like the motivational factors are very different. That's not instant gratification <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's the millennial problem. I feel like. Um, Dr. Pref- oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think, like I said, for me, the only thing that I, that I, I guess my only thing to motivate young people is always to tell them to guilt trip them a little bit. You don't want grandma to be sick, you know, so get it so that you will protect yourself, but really it is to protect them and mm-hmm. because they are the ones who are out there working, interacting with people, socializing, you know. And, and even right now, even if you get the vaccine, I still encourage my patients to wear masks, to wash their hands. I still tell them, you still have to be cautious until this pandemic is over. You don't, you're, it's not a hundred percent proof. And so you still have to wear your mask and still try not to socialize in huge gatherings indoors. I still talk to them about that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think that's super important to emphasize like the social distancing and doing whatever we can to continue to ensure that everyone is safe. Um, I, I was going to ask you, so for people who have gone COVID already, some of them don't feel like they need to take the vaccine, especially if they're young, right? Because for them, it's like, oh, I recover from it. 
I, I am okay. I'm still healthy. Um, so I don't need to take this vaccine. And I, I just kind of wanted to hear from you and, you know, what message would you have for our young listeners as well? Because I think um, earlier you mentioned about your patient, like she got it twice and then, mm-hmm. you know, got the vaccine, but for young people who feel like I've recovered from it, I probably don't need the vaccine because I already have some antibodies mm-hmm. <laughs> in my body. So, um, you know, I think for our young listeners, I do want them to also like understand how important it is so i just wanted to see you know if you have a, a message or a particular message for for those who feel like they don't need it because they've already mm-hmm. had covid yeah there are there are families and not just young people families who've got covid and recovered from covid uh despite being very sick um i've had patients who will come in and say because i was so sick because of how miserable i was I will get COVID vaccine so I don't get it again. And so that I am not, you know, I'm not gonna go through that misery again. Um, But for those of you who recovered and who felt that COVID wasn't that bad, because I do have patients who are like, yeah, it wasn't that bad, I got COVID. I mean, you still need the vaccination um, because already you know that as with any germs that are out there, they will replicate, they will change. And we already know that there are new strains that are coming mm. out all yep. the time. So even if you're protected by one, you can't be 100% sure that you're going to be protected from the other. So really, that's a big reason why you should get the vaccine is because of the fact that we already have seen COVID changing and replicating and there are new variants out there. So that's a big reason to get the vaccination. Thank you. That's such an important takeaway. Um, I mean, it's it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, I kind of wish you were my doctor um, because you're <laughs> such a good communicator. Um, I wish you were all of our doctors. Oh. <laughs> or that there were more we, doctors we, like, or we need more doctors doctors like, like you. you for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, how to speak with the elders. And I really love that you um, explained, um, you know, how vaccines work for us um, in English and Hmong. And um, also love that we you know, are addressing some of um, the concerns from our younger friends who, um, you know, we like the three of us just kind of expect to, to like want to get vaccines because um, they are getting vaccines for, for their parents. Right. And so the question is like, you know, why, why don't you want it for yourself? Um, but yeah, wanted to um, close up by asking if you had any last words or any parting words that you wanted to share um, with the community um, and your, your hope for the future. Well, the biggest thing is that we learned so much from our, the pandemic year. And the biggest lesson is how much we need each other in this whole process. Uh, and how much you, re- I mean, you really do care for each other. You know, it's like, I haven't seen my sisters and my nieces and nephew, and they have all grown so much in a year. And let's not go through that again. Let's uh, continue to be able to love each other and to be able to gather together uh, like what we're doing and to go back like my children were saying, it was 2019 when I last saw you to my nephew who is now a young man with a very deep voice. And so uh, it's it's just, you know, what I learned is that we love each other so much. We yeah. love each other so much. As human beings, we need to be together. And let's just get this over with. Let's be done with COVID. Let's conquer this virus 
so that we can live again and we can live better uh, in the future. I love that. Perfectly said. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. We appreciate, oh, you know, all of the, your storytelling and I was telling them we can listen to you talk all day. So thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed uh, just teaching and letting our pa- patients know what's mm-hmm. going on with the whole yeah. world. So thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, um, we hope that you have uh, found this you know, as helpful as, as it's been, you know, entertaining and, and touching. And, um, you know, we hope to hear your, um, your stories and see your, um, you know, vaccine selfies um, with you and your parents. Um, we want to see everyone um, healthy and, and happy and um, hopefully we'll herd immunity soon. Yes. I'll be posting my vaccine, my vaccine selfie when I get my second dose. So <laughs> that will be forthcoming. Um, but yeah, definitely. I want to echo that. And to mention, we missed you, Katie, today. Um, we actually have another co-host, Dr. Papo, but um, she couldn't be here today because of a family emergency. So just want to shout out to Katie. And yeah, thanks everyone for um, doing their part. And like we said, when you can, please get the vaccine. Uh, we will be posting more resources on our website yep. when the episode airs and happy to uh, try to direct you to the right place to get you the right information. Thanks everybody. Thank you, Dr. Papua. Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Papua.